This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com on a host of issues, including one minor victory by Apple at the International Trade Commission. We'll have Abram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. We'll talk about the failed attempt by AT&T to acquire T-Mobile and the aftermath. All this and more this week on the Tech Night Owl Live. With Daniel Aaron Dilgriff, Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com, we've got a lot of ground to cover over the next hour, hour and a half, so let's begin. First of all, Apple had, I guess, a minor or middling victory in the International Trade Commission review of a patent lawsuit, and it involves something which we all know as data detectors. That came about in the Mac OS back in the 90s, right? Yeah, of all the patents that are being talked about, this one is kind of easier to understand because it's very visible what it does. It's a user interface patent, and it, it dates back to the mid-90s. One of the, the advanced technology group was one of the things that was churning out all these different ideas in the mid-90s. One of the things that they invented was this idea of being able to take text and figure out things that matched certain patterns, like text that looked like a phone number or an address or a date or something like that, you could grab it and then use it in some way. Now, and understand here, before we go on, this is not something that's done online. Nobody's looking at your data. It's kind of a pattern matching kind of thing, right? Right. Originally, it was it was put into Mac OS 8 as a contextual plugin. So you could select some text. Like if you had an email, you could select all the text, and then you'd right-click on it, and it would say, you know, here's an email address that appeared in the text you selected. Here's a phone number. Here's whatever. You could, you could use it in some way. You could add it to your address book or something. It then kind of went dark, and it wasn't in Mac OS X until Leopard. They came out with a more advanced version of it that there's actually a process in the background that looks at the text while you're typing and while you're – anything that works with text, it pops up. So when you see somebody sends you an email with an email address in it, it turns it into a hyperlink because it's scanning the text, it's recognizing what, what useful sorts of information are in this just plain text, and it automatically creates hyperlinks that you can act upon. In Leopard or Snow Leopard, it also does it for dates. So if you click on a date, it will also look around for the information and, and try to create a, um, a calendar item for you. Now, one of the other things it does is if you get a shipping notice from a company you've bought something from, say Amazon or something else, they put the tracking number in the letter. Now, sometimes it's a link. It'll take you to the site to track your package. Other times, data detectors allows you to click on that little downward-facing arrow, and it brings up a preview of the information about the package. Yeah, so they're at that point, they're looking at... I didn't know Orca's tracking information, but... The thing in, in Lion is that you now have links you can kind of hover over, and it'll show you a preview of a hyperlink, which is part of preview. But now, part of that also is it protects you from phishing. 
someone sends you a letter with a fake link, if you hover over that link, you know what it really is. You know it's not PayPal.com, but FizzyGibbet.com or something. Well, the other interesting thing about it is that it's so automatic and so smart and so obvious that it just seems like, oh, well, it, everything should work that way. But it's really an invention. It's and patented. It's an invention. And it, yeah, it's, and it's patented. And so this is one of the examples of the things that when Steve Jobs had on said on stage showing off the iPhone and saying, and we patented it, this is one of the things that just one element that's kind of, it's not a huge thing, but it's, it's an example of the kind of things that Apple invented that were novel, that they patented, that everyone else wants to use, and Apple doesn't want them to use it. So in this specific example, and in the case between HTC and Apple in, in the ITC, and remember that there's cases in a lot of different courts. The ITC is just a, uh, a venue that's supposed to prevent foreign goods from coming in that violate patent, American patents. So all they can do basically is say, you cannot import this item if it infringes on intellectual property. Is that basically yeah, what the ruling would be? Just, but that's a huge, that's a huge, it's a huge injunction to say that you can't move stuff. And Apple has been on both sides of, of ITC cases where other American companies or even you know, other companies that have American patents that aren't American companies are trying to block Apple from being able to import its own products into the country for sale. So these cases are going on. And the reason why ITC is such a popular venue is that's a huge thing to be able to block some stuff into the United States. It's not just a, a patent question of how much are we going to pay if we can prove that there's a patent violation. We're going to just totally stop your products. Now, some of the other things they look for is dumping, where, say, for example, a tire company in China might decide to bring tires here, but they bring them in at less than they're actually worth to get the market share. Yeah. And the, the the ITC is really backed up. So this is, this case has been going on for quite some time. And the result of it is there were, I think, three or four different patents that Apple was leveraging against HTC in this particular matter. Only one of them, this data detector patent, was uh, considered infringed. And they also do this thing where there's a, a judge that makes recommendations and then there's a committee that meets on them and comes up with a final recommendation, which can sync with the judge or contradict him or whatever. And one of the things was is there were other patents that were more of a kind of deeply technical thing within Android that I think the original judge found infringing. And the final decision was that they didn't find it infringing. So that was actually, you know, good news of a sort for, for Android because if they had found that infringing, it would have made it would have been a very difficult thing to work around. Whereas this they can just take the feature out. And HTC is talking, <laughs> there's all these press releases and all these, you know, you know Apple hater websites that are saying, oh, HTC's already solved the problem. And it's like, well, yeah, that's what Apple wants them to do. Apple's not trying to prevent them from selling any products. It's trying to prevent them from selling any products when their products are ripping them off. If they're no longer ripping off Apple, then Apple's fine with them being sold. It's basically, in this particular case, if they come up with a workaround that allows them to deliver Maybe a similar feature in a totally different way. Maybe they can get away with it. Otherwise, the feature goes bye-bye. Yeah, they're not saying we can implement it in a different way. I mean, they haven't said what they're going to do yet, but it, you know, it sounds like they're just taking it out. There was quotes from both HTC and Google saying basically that this wasn't a big deal, that they could just take the feature out. <laughs> it's like, well, if it wasn't a big deal, why'd you rip it off to start with? And the other thing is here, it is a big deal, a feature like this. I mean... I think of the situation in the iPhone. I see somebody's phone number in a letter. 
I just click on it, and I have the prompt that says I can dial it. That's a very big deal. It's a very yeah. big deal to me. I think for a lot of people, this is one of the unsung heroes of Apple's operating system. I mean, is there a feature in Windows, anything near this? There's there's a lot of very kind of subtle features that Apple has put out there that don't blow people away. But if they're missing, you can you can tell it. For So, for example, the scrolling pattern that Apple has. You know, when you scroll through the iPhone, you reach the end, it kind of does this little bounce animation. That's not really evident. I mean, somebody has to point it out to you that that's happening because it just feels so natural and normal. But you go to another device like the Kindle Fire and you you scroll to the bottom and it does this awkward kind of, it's kind of like it lights up instead of bounces and it doesn't have the same effect at all. It, it's, it's confusing and it's kind of grating. And it doesn't, it doesn't make you feel like this is a cool device and I'm working with something real on the screen. It's like this is kind of a, a doodly computer device and it... It's trying to make me feel like something's going on when it's clearly not convincing. It's all about the fit and the finish and the polish and the refinement. Yeah, I mean, it, and there's other features that are far more functional, but um, it's it's the kind of polish things that Apple gives a lot of thought to how things feel and how things work that a lot of people don't give credit to or don't um, don't appreciate and. When it's, you know, when Android's ripping it off, it, it's an invention. And when you rip off an invention, that's, you should either be paying to license it or you should um, not be using it. I mean, yeah, I'll tell you what, we have to use this. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. We'll be back on the other side of the Tech Night Out Live. Hi friends, this is Jeremiah from Zeobit, the makers of MacKeeper. MacKeeper is a bundled software of 16 of the most important system utilities all located in one place. It's a really powerful and cool application that includes anti-theft, antivirus, data encryption, you can undelete files, back up your data, and so much more. We offer lifetime customer support with every license, and we really do care about you and your Mac. For more information, check us out at MacKeeper.com. Once again, that's Mac. Keeper.com. Do you know that Where To is a worldwide location finder for the iPhone? It allows you to easily find the closest and best rated restaurants, shops, and services with an easy, intuitive interface. And my personal favorite, an augmented reality view to see the results in 3D. You can find it at the App Store or from this direct link, wheretoapp.com slash T-N-O, wheretoapp.com slash T-N-O. Check it out. Hi, Jason Lewis here. Anybody who's been listening to my program knows how shaky the U.S. economy is right now. Will we have a V-shaped recovery or will it be a W-shaped one where the nation slips back into recession? Of course, if you think that Washington can spend or inflate its way out of a downturn, you've got nothing to worry about. But as you know, I have my doubts. So let me tell you about gold. Now, as my friend Ted Anderson from Midas Resources likes to say, gold, like all commodity markets, fluctuates in price and you could lose money. But it has never been worth zero. Give it some thought. And if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but has since lost 90% of its value. And if things don't change, I'm afraid the trend will continue. Call Minus Resources today at 1-800-686-2237 for gold and tell them Jason Lewis sent you. 
This just in, WildernessGeek.com is expanding their line of emergency survival gear to meet the coming need. WildernessGeek.com is not just an emergency survival gear supplier, but also a reliable supplier of recreational gear for fishing, boating, hunting, and camping. WildernessGeek.com specializes in assisting you in selecting the right gear for your need. WildernessGeek.com has rose from past experienced emergency personnel that have geek-like technical abilities to understand and inform their customers of the latest up-to-date must-need items. Items include weather alert radios, two-way radios, marine electronics, tactical flashlights, emergency signaling laser flares, and a unique line of portable solar chargers. WildernessGeek.com knows from their past customers that a large percentage of rescuers are volunteers. For that, WildernessGeek.com gives discounts to all rescuers and salutes you for your services. Well, finally, some good news for the American people. WildernessGeek.com. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. With Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com, we're talking about Apple's victory at the International Trade Commission. The feature, the Apple data detectors found to be infringing on Apple's patents being used by HTC and I guess all the Google Android smartphones, right? Yeah, it seems like it. I think Google made a comment that they're planning to take it out. Android. It's a minor feature, fit and finish. Heck, we don't care about that stuff. <laughs> but of course, you know, if they, if they take it out of a new version, it's not going to matter for Android phone sets for another year or two. <laughs> or, or another 10 years or two. That's the other issue, too, which we all have to remember, and we'll bring up another issue about updates in a moment. But the problem is, of course, that with the Android operating system, there's no guarantee that your particular gadget will ever get the software update. And maybe. That's fine. You don't need that feature. But if it's a critical bug fix causing your smartphone or tablet to crash or security issue, what do you do? Okay, so this is one example where Apple has gained a victory, which is important. But it's only, you know, one step in a long Cold War. Where does it end? I mean, it's not as if tomorrow Google's going to stop building Android. And isn't there also a report I read about a victory where Microsoft won a victory that allows them to grab royalties, continue to grab royalties for Android? Well, Microsoft is in the process of suing 
uh, Motorola as well. Motorola is one of the remaining uh, Android licenses that hasn't already come into a licensing agreement with Microsoft. And there's a lot of chatter. Barnes & Noble was talking about Microsoft is aggressively going after all the Android licensees, forcing them to license a whole lot of things that it described as kind of dubious patents in to avoid the threat of, of being dragged into court for you know these long battles that are expensive and take a lot of time. And Apple and Microsoft are very different in what they're trying to achieve. I mean, Apple is trying to prevent other people from using the things that it's invented so that the iPhone and iPad and various devices are differentiated and unique, whereas Microsoft's goal is to... Collect a check. Right. So Microsoft doesn't care if any... I mean, they actually want people to use their stuff, so they're getting paid for it. Okay, then, in the case here, have these claims ever been tested anywhere? We know we have the situation with Motorola, but we have all these other companies paying Microsoft for every handset sold, Android handset sold, but has any one of them gotten up there and said, you know what, let's just test this? Right now, nobody has, uh, Microsoft hasn't won a definitive agreement that, I've, uh, that I'm aware of. And the only companies that are kind of not wanting to license that, I know Barnes & Noble was, was making kind of an issue of not wanting to be you know, they're describing it as kind of not wanting to be bullied. And, you know, of course, that's going to be their position. Um, Motorola, similarly, Google is trying to buy Motorola. So if Motorola licenses Microsoft stuff, you know, comes to an agreement where they're having to pay royalties. I mean, a big part of, of the allure of Android was that it was supposed to be this free operating system that would be differentiated from, for example, Windows Mobile or, or Windows Phone 7 now in that, people who license it don't have to pay for it. So if they have to pay Microsoft licensing, then it raised, you know, kind of lower, levels the playing field so that licensees can say, hmm, do I want to use Android or do I want to use Windows Mobile or, you know, Windows Phone? Now, isn't that the issue yep. too? Microsoft figures, well, they'll either give us a check to use what we consider our intellectual property or they'll license Windows Phone. Obviously, they're not licensing Windows Phone. Right. So that's going nowhere. So, that, yeah, Microsoft wants to get money however it can. For Google, though, Google wants its licensees to have an advantage to using Google or, you know, Android. And if they don't, then there's greater reason for people to eventually move to something else, to move to a paid operating system. So that, that starts to become a problem for Google. If, if all its licensees are paying Microsoft anyway, then they're more likely to jump ship if there's additional... Uh, legal problems with using Android. So, you know, Google is not wanting... I think part of the reason why Google made efforts to buy Motorola was that, A, Motorola wasn't in a licensing agreement with Microsoft yet, and, B, Motorola was kind of threatening that it was going to, and that it was going to partner with Microsoft and that it would maybe uh, stop being an Android licensee or at least stop being an exclusive licensee because at that point, Motorola was the only company that was kind of all on with Android. Okay, so this gets to the biggest deal here. If we have this legal action against Motorola by Microsoft, where does that put Google in the process of acquiring Motorola? That's still taking several months. So if, if it gets to the point where if by the time Google gets a hold of Motorola, if they've already been sued by Apple and Microsoft, and they're already paying royalties to Microsoft, and they're already avoiding Apple's intellectual property, then what Google has is of limited benefit. 
and you know Google talked about how they're going to protect the Android system with with Motorola's patents. If Motorola can't protect itself, then it's hard to see how they're going to protect anyone else. I think that wasn't true when 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 Google said they were going to protect Android with Motorola's patents. I think what they really meant was they wanted to prevent Motorola from suing all the other Android licensees because that's what they're threatening to do. You kind of wonder, though, somewhere along the line, somebody has to test this patent. Hasn't Microsoft done that before with the Unix or Linux crowd where they tried to claim or send letters asserting that they might have certain patents that might be infringed upon? Well, yeah, there are two things. I mean, one was just a threat in general against Linux where they didn't say what the patents were. They just said, we have a whole bunch of patents, and if you're using Linux, you're going to be in trouble. And that... Um, the point of that was to prevent anyone from moving to using Linux. And additionally, there was the whole SCO fiasco where Microsoft was giving a lot of money to what was a Unix um, distributor who then claimed ownership of IP in Linux and was trying to force people to license it. So Microsoft wasn't really trying to get money out of Linux licensees as much as they were trying to prevent, just trying to create an environment of fear that would prevent anyone from um, stop using Windows to use open source software. And they were threatening that against, it wasn't just Linux, it was also OpenOffice, and there were some things that Apple was using as well. I don't think they were directly, I mean, they have licensing agreement with Apple, so... Yeah, well, you know, Microsoft and Apple these days seem to get along fairly well. Microsoft isn't much of a threat to Apple in very many ways. <laughs> I mean, it was always kind of the case that, that Apple was sort of, um, I mean, like when Steve Jobs came back to Apple, there was, everybody was suing Microsoft and everybody was winning hundreds of millions of dollars in doing so. IBM and, you know, B and everybody had a case against Microsoft because Microsoft had done so much illegal stuff. And so Microsoft were just paying people off because they had they were making so much money that it wasn't even a big deal to pay hundreds of millions of dollars to every company that stepped forward. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, write us, news at technightowl.com. Once again, that's news at technightowl.com. We will read each and every message we get. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. When it comes to running a successful business, there are many things you have to get right. But one thing is often overlooked, and that's protecting the data that powers your business. Computers, servers, external hard drives, and even tape backups are vulnerable to failure. In the U.S. alone, over 140,000 hard drives fail each and every week. According to one study, only 7% of companies that lose their data centers for 10 days or more survive beyond the year. So I want to tell you about our friends at Mosey. The most trusted name in online backup. Give our friends at Mosey a call. They've been doing this for a long time and run the most secure, most trusted online backup service. Right now, you could save 15% by using the promo code PODCAST15. That's PODCAST15. Call 877-669-9776. That's 877-669-9776. Or visit moseypro.com. That's M-O-Z-Y-Pro.com. 
That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted-down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S., unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins and heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. With Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine, AppleInsider.com, I'm Gene Steinberg in the Tech Night Owl live, and we're focusing here on Microsoft and where they play in the Cold War about intellectual property. You know, let's move on to another area here, because this gets to be very complicated, and we're going to have to see how a lot of things turn out. But in this day and age, Microsoft is looking at Apple as a place for profits. Apple lets them put in the Bing search engine. They're building apps for the iOS. They're going to update Mac Office for Lion sometime next year. 
So as far as Apple is concerned, Apple can do very well, but as long as people who use Macs and iPhones and iPads buy Microsoft products, they do okay. With the Macintosh, Apple was in a position where they were trying to sell hardware and trying to convince software makers to write software for it. Today, and with the iPhone, and particularly with the App Store, Apple looked at the situation and realized that if they pursue a strategy more like Nintendo of licensing software or at least being the official distributor of software, they can not only protect the users with, without having the viruses and things like that, that the malware that comes with software when you just get it from some unknown source, but they can also require that software developers support the platform. That hasn't really been the case before. It used to be that you know if you could get software developers to support your platform, that was good enough in itself. What Apple's asking them to do is actually pay for a unified distribution system. So when developers sell software through the App Store, they're paying 30% of the revenue, but they're also getting a lot of the features of the App Store. So the distribution and the storefront merchandising, all the, all the stuff that Apple's doing, the handling payments and things like that, it's kind of a win-win situation for everybody. And it's also great for customers because they know that what they're getting is legitimate software. And because there's much less piracy, there's much more revenue going to the developer. Well, and the other thing, too, Apple is at least making an effort to make sure the software runs, that it does the purpose for which it's designed and doesn't create potential hazards. And that's a big deal when you're buying something. You download something... Who is vetting it for you? And maybe if you're a power user, you don't care. But I think more and more people have to care because there's just too much stuff out there. Right. Now, journeying from that, one of the more interesting features of the iOS with the iPhone 4S is Siri. Taking the world by storm, now you've got YouTube videos where Siri is the intermediary between the husband and the wife arguing with each other or asking Siri for advice. And now there's a report that you wrote for Apple Insider, and it appears to be Nuance, which, of course, is this 500-pound gorilla. They have designed a major engine for speech recognition, and supposedly they bought a company to provide something like a Siri. What's that about? Well, Nuance has been kind of regarded as one of the best speech recognition engines, Uh they're behind the Dragon Dictate and similar products. The Vlingo is a competing uh, speech text to speech or speech to text um, system that was also working on and what they call an intent engine of kind of not just recognizing the text but also kind of grammatically looking at the text and trying to figure out what it means as opposed to just here's the text of what you said. And Siri was originally based on Vlingo's search or um, voice recognition. And after Apple bought it, they migrated it. I don't know if it, it would, had merged, it had moved before Apple bought it or, or what, but um, Siri is now using Nuance as their recognition part. So Apple came into a licensing agreement with Nuance to use their technology on their servers so that when they do the, the Siri stuff, they get the text from Nuance, and then they can process it. Nuance and Vlingo had been engaged in patent disputes over the last year or so. 
And um, I think Nuance, they, they lost the, whatever claim they had was lost, and they were going to bring some more. And then they decided they're just going to buy Lingo. And in their comment about that, they, they said that products like Siri and Nuance has its own app like for mobile, mobile devices. I think it's called Go. Um, that's more kind of like a, a, a search, like a voice search. It's, it's not of the same kind of complexity as Siri. But they're merging, they're wanting to merge Valingo's kind of analytic engine to provide products kind of on the same level as Siri for a variety of applications. So they're talking about automotive and, you know, all kinds of different products. Now, parenthetically, I heard one time that Google was going to have a technology called Majel. Yeah. Majel Rottenberry, by the way, the late widow of the founder or the creator of Star Trek, was the voice of the onboard computer on the Enterprise. And I was thinking, gee, what they'll do is they'll license her voice and you'll have a Siri alternative that sounds exactly like the Starship Enterprise's computer. Well, there are a couple problems with that. First of all, is Google, I don't know how much of that is just wishful thinking. Um, well, that's what it is here, too. It's like what Microsoft used to do. A company comes out with a feature or a product they don't have. They said, we're going to have it, too. Just stay with us for a while. Yeah, and what's, what's interesting is both Google and Microsoft, when Siri came out, instead of saying, wow, this is the future, we're working on this, too, both of them, you know, top people from both Windows Phone and Android blew off Siri as being kind of silly. And Google specifically referred to it as you don't want your phone being an assistant. What a ridiculous thing to say. I mean, it's just stupid for Google to say that. And then turned around a little bit later and said kind of like, oh, we're working on all this stuff and, you know, we're actually ahead of it. No, you're not ahead. You're behind. So So we're not going to do it because it's silly. Oh, by the way, we are going to do it. Just stick with us. Yeah, and it's just clear that they did. They were like blindsided by what should be kind of obvious. I mean, both both Google and Microsoft had been promoting the fact that they did have voice recognition in in their in the platform, not as an app. I mean, on iOS you could get it as an app, but it wasn't built in in a way that you know it is useful to have voice recognition built in. And outside of the iPhone 4s, there is no voice recognition in iOS. That would be a handy thing to have, just plain voice recognition. You have to get an app to do that, and so you can't. There's no way to just like go into an app. You can't just like open up a text and start talking into it and have it send it. So I mean, that's like a, a viable thing for them to advertise. But what they really said was it was just completely. I don't know who comes up with what they say, but it, it was just ridiculous. Instead of saying, you know, hey, we're we're better at this and we're going to work at being better at that, it was kind of like, oh, no, this even matters. And then, oh yeah, we're way ahead. And it's just it's so ridiculous what they say. It's like they're not thinking or the right hand isn't doing what the left hand is doing. Let me ask you a question about voice recognition on the iOS, especially Siri. Is this the same thing as like using a Dragon application on a Mac to sit there with your iPhone and actually, say, write a book with dictation? I've used – I remember when I hurt my hand and I couldn't, um, couldn't type. I was writing by voice. I wrote a couple articles. And – Voice recognition works pretty well. I mean, there's there's certain things that, and it's kind of the same engine that Siri uses. So I don't know how much overlap there is, but if you use 
like desktop voice recognition, you kind of have to have it train for your voice a little bit and you have to say things in a certain way and you can't stop too often. I mean, you, you have to kind of be conversational and keep going with it. And of course, when you write things, you kind of pause. Well, let me think right. about that or let me rephrase that. Yeah, it was kind of a difficult thing because I'm used to just my fingers just typing and just stuff comes out of me, you know, super rapidly. And then I go back and edit things. And and when I was trying to compose articles by voice, I realized it's a very different process. And we'll go into that process and about this in a moment. Daniel Aaron Dilgriff, Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Ready for cold and flu season? Now's the time to get ready and save during the pre-winter sale at HerbalHealer.com. Stock up on powerful, natural flu fighters like olive leaf extract, elderberry power, and grapefruit seed liquid. Don't forget your vitamin D3 this winter. Right now, HerbalHealer.com has 120 soft gels, 1,000 IUs, on sale for only $9. And remember, HerbalHealer.com offers eFoods Global products, delicious, premium, storable foods that contain no MSG, no trans fats, no GMO, and have a 25-year shelf life. Click the eFoods link on HerbalHealer.com and try eFood storable meals for free. Bookmark HerbalHealer.com, then experience live chat, correspondence courses, and sign up for our free newsletter. As always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. Log on and hit the pre-winter specials at HerbalHealer.com. Healing the world with nature, one person at a time, since 1988. Jason Lewis here with the holidays just around the corner. Be sure to consider the greatest gift you can give to your friends and family peace of mind. That's why I choose wisefoodstorage.com. Wisefoodstorage.com offers delicious ready-made meals like cheesy lasagna, savory stroganoff, and pasta alfredo that are packaged for freshness in individual metal mylar pouches and carry a 25-year shelf life. And they're ready to eat in minutes. Simply add hot water. Request a free entree sample today at wisefoodstorage.com and for a limited time, get free shipping and 10% off of your order. That's right, a free entree 
free shipping, and 10% off any order. Just use promo code LEWIS. Call 855-FOODWISE. That's 855-366-3947. Or visit wisefoodstorage.com. That's wise, W-I-S-E, foodstorage.com. Gourmet emergency food at the best price and the greatest gift you can give to the ones you love this holiday season. This is James from the band Golden State. There's only one man who can end these wars, and that's Ron Paul. This Christmas, let's get him to number one on iTunes with our song, Bombs, the Ron Paul song. to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. I'm Gene Steinberg. He's Daniel Aaron Dilger, and we're talking about voice recognition. So you hurt your hands in an accident. You can't type, or if you can't type, it's very limited and very painful and you're in a situation where you had to use voice recognition. So you used the Dragon app for the Mac for voice recognition, and we wanted to see if we can do it on an iPhone 4S. So you were telling us here that you have to kind of learn a different way of putting text to paper, as they say. Right, and it, it, it worked. And in some cases, it was I was kind of surprised that things would work. I would say something, and I was like, oh, it's not going to get that right, but then it would. And there are certain words that it, just no matter how I said them, it wouldn't ever get it. So it was useful to an extent. But, you know, once I could type again, I didn't have any interest in using voice as opposed to typing because I'm just I'm better at typing. And so I haven't, haven't continued to use it. it. It wasn't like a better tool than typing for me. Um, some people might like it better. However, with the iPhone, the fact that you're saying kind of short little brief things, you're, you're giving commands... And you're not like trying to formulate an idea and, and trying to dictate what, uh, an article, for example. But instead, you're you're just saying something. You're, you're saying what what time is it here or whatever. You're, you're you're giving kind of commands just like you talk to somebody, and it works really well for that. And what's really cool is being able to text with it. So just the voice recognition. That's why I'm saying I think Apple should add this to the, you know all their all their iOS devices. Just the voice recognition works really well. And the fact that you can ask natural language questions and interact with your calendar and things like that, that that's unique among mobile operating systems. I mean, Google's and Microsoft stuff doesn't really do that so much. Um, makes it extremely useful because it's this kind of very short. And, and the recognition is actually really quick, too. Even though it's using the network, it's using it as a cloud service. So when you say something, it's uploading it, downloading it, as long as you have service. I found even mobile, it works pretty well. I mean, like, not with Wi-Fi. But if you have kind of sketchy service, 
like I had a lot of problems with Sprint and trying to use it for that was very frustrating. All right. So the point is here, is there anything on the iPhone that lets you just dictate something? I mean, there is a Dragon app for that, isn't there? Outside of Siri? Yeah, there's all kinds of little apps that work on various different people's servers. There's some that are free and some that are paid. But to to use it, you have to, like, dictate into the app and then copy and paste the text into whatever you're using, which is kind of clumsy. So this is not really something that you'd want to write a book with. Are you talking about Siri? I'm talking about either Siri or any speech recognition engine on iPhone. Um... Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're doing like long, there's going to be some editing. You can certainly, uh, it kind of does a, a line at a time. You could certainly like sit there and dictate stuff into it, and just keep adding to a text file. And like I said, it, you know, it works quite well. There's some learning that goes into it. I haven't done any long term stuff. I've done like a few paragraphs just to test things. Um, but like I was saying, it works best when it's conversational. That's what it's kind of designed to listen for. So if you're kind of hemming and hawing and you know trying to come up with ideas and talking into it, that's not the most ideal use for it. So Siri works really well for doing the things it's designed to do, which is to respond to you asking questions or um, interacting with your calendar and things like that. It's pretty amazingly well. For, for being like a 1.0 technology, it's really well done. But somebody who's been writing books and articles for years, suddenly jumping into something like that, it wouldn't necessarily be the most comfortable thing to do. No, and like what I was saying, a big part of it is that it's a very different process to think and type than it is to think and say things out loud. So if you're you're very much a, a typist in how you write, when you say it out loud, it's very different. It, it, you know, it's like the difference of writing and public speaking. You're both communicating an idea, but one is like a very different type of task where you're putting words in a line. A lot of people are good writers. They're not necessarily good public speakers. It's, it's not like interchangeable. Even though it's kind of you're doing the same thing, you're, it's, the process is very different. And how you conceptualize ideas is very different. It's like I can... You know, there's some languages I can sort of read pretty well, but I, I can't fluently speak in them because it's a different process. All right, so this may not be the best thing for him to try. It was a thought. Anyway, let's move on to some other subjects here. There's a story out this week, and it's very interesting in telling how Microsoft is always aping Apple in some way or another. Of course, some years back, Apple pulled out of the Macworld Expo. We don't need to do that kind of trade show thing anymore. We can reach more people with in-store demonstrations and these special media events that garner, of course, the attention of the entire world press these days. So now Microsoft has announced that 2012 will be the last time they attend the Consumer Electronics Show. So where is that all about? I think it kind of speaks to the general sort of obsolescence of the trade show because it, it's very much like trade magazines. Remember in the 90s, trade shows were like the only way you could meet people and see stuff. And magazines are the only way you could really learn about what was going on. And there's just such delay. I mean, it's, it's so much easier to interact with people in real time on the, over the Internet. And you can, <clears throat> you can shop for things and you can do things that you couldn't do you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. 
20 years ago. And so, yeah, I think the trade show has kind of become sort of a dinosaur. So we're not going to have the dinosaur Microsoft announcing some new product or service year after year that never sees a light of day. I wrote an article. I can't remember what year it was, but I think it was like in the area of like 2008 or 2009. And I would keep updating it, like what Microsoft delivered at CES every year. And it was just <laughs> so ridiculous. They would come up and say something, you know, some vaporware stuff that they're working on that would never matter. And then, you know, Apple would get up and say something that they're working on and they would just deliver it and make millions of them. And, and then, you know, it's just every year went on and on and on and on, like throughout the entire decade. But then Apple got to the point where they could do that without a trade show. They didn't need to go to Macworld and, to get an audience. So why would you do that? The, the biggest problem is that it, it's such a big effort to, to set up this big production at Macworld that has somewhat of a limited scope when you can, you know, they now have hundreds of Apple stores and an online presence. And, you know, it's a lot easier to reach people where they're at instead of expecting everyone to go to San Francisco or New York or something. So Microsoft got the message. Or maybe they have no new products to offer. We're just going to close down. We're going to ape the Zune and Windows Phone. We're going to stick that Metro interface on Windows 8, and that's all we've got to do. Goodbye. Yeah, they don't... It is, I think it would be kind of hard to drum up a lot of excitement. If you've seen like the internal stuff where Microsoft shareholder meetings and, and um, company company meetings where they clearly just don't have a vision of what they're doing. I mean, it's not even like we're, we're going to copy Apple and this and this and this. They are doing that. But um, there's no real vision of this is what we're going to do. And if you saw that futuristic vision of video that they made, um, like other people have said, when people start making futuristic videos, that's kind of an indication that they don't know what else to do. Because that's what Apple did, you know, back when they were kind of out of... It wasn't that they couldn't come up with technologies, because there's a lot of smart people at Microsoft, just like there were a lot of smart people at Apple in the early 90s. It's the ability to take something from idea to product, to deliver something, some cool technology in a way that's useful to the people. That's kind of the critical bit that's not happening in Microsoft. And a lot of it is management. I mean... And they're just shuffling their deck chairs around and people are leaving. And So, yeah, there's a lot of talent there, but I think it's going to be a lot like what happened to Apple in the late 80s, early 90s when, you know, people were just kind of sitting around doing interesting projects, but they weren't developing products we wanted to use or that people could use. They're they're not accessible. I mean, like a lot of people talk about Windows Phone 7 as being like, yeah, this is a usable sort of thing. Well, maybe it's usable, but if it's not usable enough, if it's not better, if there's not anything anything that gives you a reason to change, to use something. It, it's like coming out with a car with its steering wheels in the back seat, and it's like, well, that's different. But is it better? And it, I don't see how it's better. <laughs> and I don't think a lot of people are going to see that it's better. It's just kind of arbitrarily different. And that didn't work really well for Windows Vista. So Metro, nobody seems to be enthusiastic about it. And Windows 8, I don't get much enthusiasm except for people who are really devoted to Windows. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live.
Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Daniel Aaron Dilger from Roughly Drafted Magazine, Apple Insider, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night All Live. We're spending time to cover a lot of ground. Apple, Microsoft, Google, so much stuff to deal with. And one more thing we'll deal with for a little while here. AT&T wanted to buy... T-Mobile for $39 billion. We need to do this for the customers. You know, we need to add capacity for the customers. Of course, they're killing the competition. Well, the Department of Justice in the USA didn't buy it. The FCC didn't buy it. So now it's history. So what was AT&T thinking? How did they basically screw up this one? Well, I think AT&T was thinking we just did this with you know, AT&T merged with Southwest Bell. It wasn't a big deal. I think Bush was still president then. And all of a sudden, America's decided that we have a totally different policy. So that's kind of diff- difficult on business when things just like flop back and forth. So Verizon is buying all this cable bandwidth. Now that's being called into question. They were all doing the same things a few years ago. It's kind of disruptive in in business when the political environment changes dramatically. So, for example, when Clinton was president, Microsoft trial went on for years and years and years. They found them guilty. They're ready to like decide what they're going to do. Bush comes into power and says, oh, never mind that. Let them do whatever they want. And so it just totally shifts what policy is. And under Bush, all these companies bought each other up and became like the new rules of the game is you just buy everything up to become huge conglomerations and then under the Obama administration it's like no we're going to make sure that there's competition and things like that so it is difficult for I mean it's hard to look at AT&T and say they, they screwed something up they were doing what was reasonable and in in my estimation I mean sure there would be a loss of jobs and the idea that there's going to be lost competition from T-Mobile is a bit sketchy because T-Mobile is owned by a company that doesn't want to own T-Mobile anymore Deutsche Telekom is not making lots of money on T-Mobile. Its subscribers are dying. It has no future plans for LTE. It's one of the the few. Um, it's the only major uh, U.S. carrier without a a real plan for 4G. They're calling their you know 3G 4G, but that's not really the same as having a 4G plan. 
they can't get the iPhone. They know that that's a problem for them. And so there were a lot of things that would be kind of solved if they merged with AT&T and, and um, gave America a strong GSM UM, UMTS provider, which AT&T has been kind of liking because it, AT&T is a conglomeration of all the GSM providers that existed before, except for T-Mobile. So by putting them together, then you have a strong um, GSM provider, basically, stronger. And it gives AT&T the ability to rapidly build stuff out. So on one hand, you have, you know, consumer groups and, you know, the Department of Justice and the FCC saying, oh, we want to have competition. It's like, well, that's all fine and good, but you can't just decree competition. You have to create a competitive I mean, you have to you have to create rules that are that encourage competition. And just saying that companies can't merge is not a, enough. What AT and T is saying is, if you're going to say that we can't merge, then you also have to make spectrum available that we can buy. In Europe, for example, you can't just own huge amounts of spectrum and sit on it. In the U.S., all our huge portions of our spectrum are being sat upon and undeveloped. It's kind of like the bank sitting on money and not granting loans. Sort of like that. The spectrum is really uh, belongs to the people. I mean, really. I mean, it's like the spectrum is like the oxygen in the air. It's like if we gave companies the ability to use oxygen so that they could, you know, build farms so they could have enough food. But they're not going to build farms because they're waiting to see what they should do and waiting to see if they could sell the oxygen to somebody else who could build farms. It, it, it just creates a situation where America is like one of the richest nations, and we have terrible mobile service, especially compared to the other affluent nations. Europe and, and you know, affluent Asia has not just much better service, but much faster service. I mean, the, the, the level of service that they have is much faster than broadband. And here we have just kind of tepidly sort of 1990s era data service being rolled out. It's really kind of embarrassing. And so it sounds like this great win for consumers to say, oh, we're not going to let these two companies merge because there would be a net loss of jobs. And maybe that's an important consideration, but maybe it would have been smarter to say, okay, you can merge, but you have to employ this many people or you have to somehow mitigate jobs or you have to pay these people to learn new positions or whatever. But just saying, oh, no, we're going to block your plans and we're going to do it. And the way they did it was really kind of mouthy and juvenile, I thought. I mean, they, were, they, were, they weren't working like a, it didn't come across to me like a regulatory company saying, we know what you're trying to do and we'll help you do this, but we're going to make sure that you do this too. It was very adversarial and just kind of catty, I thought. It sounded like a bunch of Android fans running the government. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just having a, this notion of, of a lot of ideological hoopla that didn't really matter and trying to push it into the market in this kind of over-the-top command environment sort of way. <laughs> I thought it was kind of <laughs> ridiculous. But it's very populous to, to say that, you know, AT&T shouldn't buy T-Mobile, I guess. Well, it sounds good on paper, you know. Then yeah, again, if you look at both, heck, after all, the ratings, customer ratings in terms of consumer reports for the network at AT&T aren't that high, and T-Mobile is only slightly better. So is that two mediocre providers merging, hoping to find a pig in a poke here? Well, I don't know how t- how Consumer Reports did its methodology, and I, I don't... Consumer I don't Reports, how, how, I have problems with, but this supposedly <laughs> is surveys of the performance customer service 
frequency yeah. of drop calls, call quality in, say, 20 large cities? Yeah, well, if it was based on um, asking customers how many drop calls they have. That's kind of ridiculous. You can't ask customers how many drop calls they have and get useful data from it. But, I mean, regardless, yes, AT&T and T-Mobile both have among the weakest networks because AT&T is relatively new. It didn't start building out its 3G until they, basically until the iPhone was coming out, the original iPhone in, in 2007. Um, it was kind of 3G was a new thing. That's why the original iPhone didn't have 3G. Uh, at that time, I think both Sprint and certainly Verizon had pretty significant 3G networks. So they were kind of behind in, in building out kind of global 3G generation networks in the United States just because they were had just come together. I mean, AT&T had just changed its name from Singular, which had just kind of merged. It was like all these different providers are merging to create a nationwide network. Um, so AT&T is kind of this fledgling competitor to Verizon, which is been you know more established for a longer period of time and has built out more coverage uh t-mobile has always been kind of a smaller player but it was hobbled by the fact that there just isn't enough bandwidth to have another 3g provider next to at&t so they had to use a different set of frequencies for 3g service now this is interesting here and maybe you can explain it to me in plain english Supposedly, there's a roaming agreement between AT&T and T-Mobile in the aftermath of this. Does that mean, therefore, that if they can use AT&T's capacity, they have to support the frequencies or what? Um, it's not clear. It, it, I don't think that they're roaming on all their stuff. Because AT&T and T-Mobile once had a roaming agreement where there was some roaming and, and also Sprint and Verizon had, at one point had a roaming agreement where, you know, Sprint was a small company. It would use Verizon's network wherever it, it could. Um, How things do, change. Yeah. So right now they're not doing that. And I mean, ideally it would, it would be awesome if, if T-Mobile and AT&T were just totally sharing so that you could get on T-Mobile and use their network and you know, use AT&T's network with your iPhone. Because in some places, T-Mobile has much faster networks. Um, but again, those networks are, are very rarely run on the same frequencies that, a, that iPhones can use. So, this yeah. is why, for example, if you jailbreak your iPhone, an AT&T iPhone GSM, of course, and use it in the T-Mobile network, you're not going to get the 3G speeds because of the different frequencies. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack! Attack! A 
of the Rockaways is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockaways, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realists, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30%, while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us, and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Thomas Jefferson once said, When the people fear their government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty. Our God-given right to life and liberty and the right to determine what is best for our lives and our family's health are in jeopardy. If we the people do not diligently assert these rights, they may be taken away and lost forever. Utopia Silver is known for fighting for health freedom, and we will not meekly allow ourselves to be led as lambs to the slaughter, sitting passively by. And accepting the chains of slavery that are being placed on America is not an option. Please stand with Utopia Silver in this fight. Utopia Silver carries some of the most effective colloidal silver products on the market and numerous other high-quality health supplements. Visit us today at utopiasilver.com. That's U-T-O-P-I-A, utopiasilver.com. Or call us today at 1-888-213-4338. 1-888-213-4338. Folks, have you lost your power and wanted to simply flip a switch to get the lights back on? If so, this is going to be the most important message you'll ever hear. Because there's never been a better time to get ready for the winter power outages ahead. Here's why. Solar power generators are now available from our friends at Solutions from Science, one of our oldest sponsors. Their emergency backup systems provide life-saving electrical power when you need it most. Unlike gas generators, a solar generator runs quietly, emits no fumes, and produces electricity from the sun. It's like having an electric power plant running quietly in your own home. Whether it's ice storms, brownouts, or blackouts, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. When the power goes out this winter, you'll be ready with a solar power generator from Solutions from Science. Go to MySolarBackup.com for more information. That's MySolarBackup.com or call 877-327-0365. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightall.com and if you want to catch up on past episodes we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightall.com slash radio that's technightall.com slash radio or check us out at iTunes we have Daniel Arundelgra of Roughly Drafted Magazine I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Owl Live and we're going to continue just for a few more minutes with Daniel we were talking about AT&T and T-Mobile 
and the problems that T-Mobile has being on the wrong frequency. And obviously, the question still arises there now that T-Mobile is going to be free, unless they find some other way of merging with somebody. Would Apple then consider an iPhone for their network? I find it unlikely because T-Mobile's bands that they're using for 3G are unique to T-Mobile. It's not like, and, and T-Mobile is much smaller than Verizon, for example. So when Apple came out with the Verizon phone, I was a little bit surprised. For a year or so leading up to it, it was obvious that, that was going to happen. But originally, I, I had written that Apple was very unlikely to make a CDMA phone because it's such a small market. So to create a, a phone that only works on Verizon wouldn't seem to be worth it, particularly given that Verizon is pushing its next network that's not going to be compatible with CDMA. I mean, that doesn't require CDMA. But Apple came up with the, the Verizon iPhone, and Sprint eventually began to use that same phone. And there's a number of other CDMA providers around the world, in India and in China and in other markets, that make a CDMA iPhone something that Apple can sell to a lot of different customers. The key being, one more time, that it's not going to be one provider that gives them the impetus to do this. It's something where they can build one phone and sell 20, 30 million. Right. And with T-Mobile, T-Mobile is not only a fraction the size of Verizon. It's also, there's no one else in the world that's using those frequencies that I'm aware of. I mean, it's, it's certainly not widespread. It's, it's very much unique to T-Mobile. T-Mobile's parent company uses, you know, regular GSM, UMTS frequencies. So T-Mobile is this very oddball place. The frequencies that it, that it uses also give it less desirable coverage characteristics, for example. I think it doesn't work as well in buildings. and It's just kind of like, it's kind of like a slant against it and its prospects in the future. And what AT&T was proposing was to stop using those frequencies for 3G and start using them for this new 4G service that they're building out. So AT&T's purchase of T-Mobile would have gotten rid of all those frequencies that on this kind of weird bandwidth and converted that to create not only 4G in cities, LTE service in cities, but also to create service for rural areas, which are the least likely to get modern service, just because it's harder to cover. But with the frequencies they could get from T-Mobile, they could do that. So the DOJ, to preserve some jobs, has screwed America, from ever, especially rural America, from ever getting LTE service across the board. So Verizon and AT&T are going to build out LTE service in cities, and they're going to have a hard time seeing the need to cover rural areas because there's just not enough bandwidth to do it. I mean, I don't know how what magic rabbit's going to get pulled out of the hat to, to provide that much bandwidth, but I think it was a very short-sighted, kind of idealistic, stupid decision for them to just oppose, categorically oppose AT&T buying T-Mobile. I think it would have been smart for them to say, if you're going to merge, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to make sure that this happens and you know regulate them. But don't just oppose it just categorically. And I mean, they just had their fingers in the ear chanting that they were not going to allow it to happen, which I thought was fantastically stupid. Well, there you go. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> well, okay, but we'll accept that. So there you go as far as AT&T and T-Mobile. And as you say, there's not much of a chance they'll see an iPhone there unless... They really offer Apple something, and where is the incentive? Where is it going to go? One more thing before we let you go. Microsoft opened up the MSN Messenger standard for their instant messaging system, so now 
they embrace an open source system so AOL, Instant Messenger, AIM, and iChat can now support it? So AIM and MSN and Yahoo were all proprietary ways to do IM, Instant Messenger. It's kind of like in the old days of email, you know, before internet email, you had CompuServe and you had Genie and you had all these different companies that you could send email to their customers, but you couldn't really send email from Genie to CompuServe. This is like early 80s, <laughs> if I've lost you. But when email clients came out, then all of a sudden everybody kind of rapidly moved to internet email standards, things like POP and SMTP, sending mail out. Apple has been kind of at the forefront of pushing what's known as Jabber, XMPP, which is a way to send instant messages that anybody can set up a server just like email. And so Apple is doing that with iChat, but they're also supporting AOL. So you could set up your iChat with your AOL account, or you could set up a Jabber account and talk to other open chat systems like Google Talk and Apple's own iChat server or local Bonjour chat. But Microsoft and Yahoo had never supported that. So it's kind of big news that Microsoft is allowing its customers to connect via XMPP, the standard, because it opens up chat to all clients. And another kind of important thing it does is within iOS, Apple's never had just a chat client, but it is introducing iMessages in the SMS app, which is kind of novel, in that when you send an SMS to another iPhone, if it recognizes it as being an iOS 5 device, it stops sending an SMS and starts sending encrypted, open XMPP messages. It's kind of like email, but they're free and they're they're not proprietary in, in that they can they're not using mobile networks. So you can now chat over Wi-Fi even if you don't have service, or you can chat from your iPad. But what that also opens up, and, and FaceTime is also connected to that because it's using the same client discovery system of sending a push message to, to initiate a call with somebody else. So Apple's taking this very proprietary notion of mobile calls and mobile chat and opening it up to be an Internet service. And Microsoft is taking its MSN service, which is completely proprietary to the company, and also opening it up to the same protocol. So that potentially means that within iMessage, you could start sending chat messages to other clients. So Microsoft and Google and Facebook are all now using XMPP chat. So I would think the next version of iMessage, or at some point down the road, Apple's going to make it so you can chat with all those services from your iPhone and do so in a way that doesn't require individual chat networks to keep open a connection. So if you have AOL chat on, or if you have MSN chat on, you have a separate service that's sitting there polling to, to see if there's new messages and advertising that you're still on the network. And that uses network time and whatever. With this, Apple's using the same system they use for um, notifications and notification alerts that you have a new, you know, someone's trying to FaceTime you or something like that. So it's no extra cost. There's no extra battery cost. There's no extra processing in the background cost. It's not multiple network connections. It's one network connection. Hey, tell our listeners where we can find more of the stuff from Daniel Aaron Dilger. I write for RefleyDrafted.com, and I'm writing on AppleInsider.com. And you'll get the stuff because he does basic, straightforward, straight-ahead news coverage and also commentary, sometimes a little bit of both. And we do hope, and we'll make this public request, that we'll see more of your unique articles at RefleyDrafted.com. Are you going to be able to do that? Yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm also kind of working on, I'm trying to figure out how to do like a weekly a review of news, like a video segment. All right. We'll look forward so, to that. 
Why Daniel, don't I figure out how to make it work. Daniel Aaron Dilger, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gene. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Do you know that Where To is a worldwide location finder for the iPhone? It allows you to easily find the closest and best rated restaurants, shops, and services with an easy, intuitive interface. And my personal favorite, an augmented reality view to see the results in 3D. You can find it at the App Store or from this direct link, wheretoapp.com slash T-N-O, wheretoapp.com slash T-N-O. Check it out. Ready to save while getting prepared? Then you're ready for the winter sale at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Take advantage of the incredible savings on all items at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Portable AM, FM, and shortwave radios from 1995. American Red Cross emergency radios and Cato radios from 2895. Solar lanterns from 2295. Solar flashlights, two for 1695. Hand crank LED hurricane lanterns and flashlights from 895. Be sure to check out the flexible solar panels to power your emergency and survival gear. Every order over $75 will receive a solar-powered flashlight absolutely free. So get prepared this winter by visiting 21stCenturyGoods.com. Spelled the number 2, the number 1, S-T, CenturyGoods.com, 21stCenturyGoods.com, or call 866-999-8422. That's 866-999-8422. 21stCenturyGoods.com. Power up your survival. If you constantly feel run down and tired, your pH level might be low and your body could be full of toxins. If what you drink is not at a pH level of 8 or higher, you are inviting bacteria and acid to thrive in your body. But there is something you can do. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops to your water to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise your pH balance to optimum levels. AlkaVision Plasma pH drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals in the world. Alkalizing the water you you drink, ridding your body of acidic waste and toxins, and helping you regain energy and vibrant health. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline, high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. 
Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. With Aprim Pilch of Laptop Magazine, we're going to focus on a number of topics, the best gear or whatever for 2011, trends for 2012, something about wearable computers. You can wear your own computer. How about that? Maybe stick it in your, in your head and you don't need anything else. But let's start with the thing that didn't work at all in 2011, and that was the attempt by AT&T to merge with T-Mobile. So what's the background, Avon? So obviously T-Mobile is the fourth-place carrier in the United States, a fourth-place national carrier. AT&T an- announced this past spring that they were going to try and acquire T-Mobile, or rather that they had agreed to acquire T-Mobile for $39 billion from Deutsche Telekom, its German owner. Part of the reason that Deutsche Telekom wanted to sell it is that there are laws in place saying that the national carriers should be primarily uh, owned by a domestic company, and Deutsche Telekom is a German company. And part of the reason that they want to sell is obviously they're, they're in fourth place and they were losing contract customers. You know, their, their number of contract customers as of 2010 was only 78% of their customers were on a two-year contract to a one-year contract. It had gone down from a couple of years prior when it was 85%. So they weren't attracting the customers uh, that they wanted. The parent company wanted to sell, and AT&T, of course, wanted to buy. Now, that's the next point, of course, is why would AT&T want to do this? Now, obviously, on the surface, it would be, let's get rid of one of our competitors. But what did AT&T say? Well, they said it was because they need the wireless spectrum that T-Mobile owns. Uh, in order to build out their next-generation 4G LTE network, uh, in January they said that that they only had eight, they only had enough to build out enough resources to build out to 80 percent to have 80 percent of the U.S. covered by LTE over the next couple of years. So they said, hey, if we buy T-Mobile, and this is what they said when they announced the acquisition in March. Uh, we're going to be able to get up to 97% of the market. So that was their stated goal. However, um, a lot of people were skeptical, saying, hey, um, they're spending $39 billion to buy, this, to buy this spectrum, but what they're also doing is they're going to absorb 32 million subscribers, become the biggest carrier with... Uh, something like 120 million subscribers after the close of the merger, and it's going to limit consumer choice. And one of their lawyers in um, filing documentation uh, with the FCC because they had to go through an approval process accidentally posted a document uh, in the public record that showed that AT&T could have hit that 97% 
uh, coverage number by spending nearly $3.8 billion on you know, buying additional resources to, to, to gain additional coverage. So they spent 10, they proposed to spend 10 times as much money to buy T-Mobile to supposedly get this spectrum that they needed to spend to do it on their own, which really kind of shows what their real, what their intention was, which is clearly to be the only HSPA carrier, the only GSM carrier, meaning the only one that uses, you know, 3G with SIM cards uh, in the United States and to become the largest wireless carrier by absorbing the lowest cost competitor in T-Mobile. Obviously, uh, this triggered a response from the Department of Justice, uh, which announced in August it was going to sue to block the merger, and the FCC also announced it was opposed to the merger. Now, let me, let's uh, go so, into details here. Obviously, yeah. that letter shouldn't have gotten out. And I would think the yeah. person who allowed this to happen is going to find themselves in some serious trouble as a result. Are they still even working for the company? No, they haven't said, but I wouldn't think so. <laughs> um, it was one of the lawyers representing uh, AT&T, so it's not really clear, you know, did they fire the law firm or the person? Um, yeah, that they shouldn't have included that in, in the documentation. It was redacted, but not before everybody saw it. So, um, you know, that was damning, but frankly, they didn't, people knew, I mean, they didn't need to get that kind of a smoking gun to know that AT&T did not need to spend $39 billion to buy Spectrum from T-Mobile and that what they were really trying to do was absorb a competitor. Now, in response to that revelation about this letter, did AT&T provide some corporate spin control? You know, they said something about how, you know, look, this is just one one document, the document doesn't really say anything so damning. It's like, oh, we're really just buying it for the customers. What it shows is that the expense that they would have to outlay um, to, to get the needed resources on their own is 10 times less than it would have to outlay for T-Mobile. Um, but obviously, they, feel that they felt that you know, absorbing... Um, T-Mobile was going to was going to give them some additional resources. You could get into an endless technical debate with someone from AT&T about what the spectrum was that they were getting versus the spectrum they, they had on already versus what they would be able to acquire through other means. Um, but clearly, the the message is they're going to be capable of building out to cover most of the United States with LTE, without T-Mobile cell. Well, <laughs> there you go. There's the revelation. How do you go from there? Okay, so the Department of Justice decides to sue AT&T, and they will defend themselves, but then the FCC says they're not going to approve it either. It was kind of a double whammy for, double whammy for them, Um they also wanted to, there's a 180-day clock um, once you apply to the FCC for approval, uh, by which time the FCC has to kind of respond to you, 
uh, based on what you've given the supporting evidence. And AT&T had, there was some debate about they wanted to withdraw their application and then refile it so that they could have more time to, to kind of make their case. Uh, but uh, they start to see the writing on the wall um, even in November, uh, even though they only officially pulled out um, they only officially pulled out the other day because um, they are, they took a write down on four billion dollars of four billion dollars, um, three billion of which is is cash and one cash and stock, and one billion of which is is in spectrum that they have to give to Deutsche Telekom as a uh, breakup fee, uh, which which is absolutely absolutely fantastic. I mean, I think Kevin Federline didn't do any better from Britney Spears. I mean. They they have such such a nice prenup that if the deal doesn't go through, Deutsche Telekom gets you know gets all of this stuff from AT and T just for just for playing along, and and now T Mobile is actually going to be the wealthier for having the deal fall through. Um, and okay, but T Mobile therefore has to survive as a separate company now. I mean, there's no one else going to buy them. I mean, they can't go in bed with Sprint because Sprint uses a different kind of technology. Not, not uh, you're, you're correct about another carrier, but what about another company? Uh, apparently the leading contender to buy T-Mobile, and they've come out and said this publicly, is Dish Network. Dish Network already owns some wireless spectrum, and they would like to get into the phone game. Um, they're obviously American-owned, so that's not a regulatory problem. This would make them an instant player in, in the phone industry. And so I could totally see Dish Network coming along and making this happen. Um, I have a, you know, there's no evidence of this, but my dark horse candidate would be a retailer like Walmart, you know, maybe coming in and deciding. I mean, Walmart and Radio Shack already do a lot in phone sales. Walmart wants is a, the discount discount king. Uh, I mean, that would kind of be a marriage, a marriage made in retail heaven. Mm, uh, we have Walmart. to see. We have Avram Pilch. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes... The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. 
Ready for cold and flu season? Now's the time to get ready and save during the pre-winter sale at HerbalHealer.com. Stock up on powerful, natural flu fighters like olive leaf extract, elderberry power, and grapefruit seed liquid. Don't forget your vitamin D3 this winter. Right now, HerbalHealer.com has 120 soft gels, 1,000 IUs on sale for only $9. And remember, HerbalHealer.com offers eFoods Global Products, delicious, premium, storable foods that contain no MSG. No trans fats, no GMO, and have a 25-year shelf life. Click the eFoods link on HerbalHealer.com and try eFood storable meals for free. Bookmark HerbalHealer.com, then experience live chat, correspondence courses, and sign up for our free newsletter. As always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. Log on and hit the pre-winter specials at HerbalHealer.com. Healing the world with nature, one person at a time, since 1988. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. In a coming apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. What nutrition are you missing that's leading to the four major diseases? Cancer, arthritis, heart disease, and Parkinson's. There are at least 80,000 medical studies that show a lack of the protein glutathione to be linked to cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, macular degeneration, lung disease, digestive diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ALS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. In all, at least 68 diseases. What is the number one food by which your body is most empowered to increase its glutathione production? It is undamaged whey protein from grass-fed cows. One World Whey is truly the first undamaged whey protein. All other whey protein powders are damaged by heat, chemicals, and filtration. One World Whey is the most life-giving whey protein powder ever produced. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg. Avram Pilch with Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Isle Live. We're trying to pick apart the pieces of the failed AT&T attempt to merge with T-Mobile, looking at other suitors for T-Mobile. Of course, there's Walmart. And there's Dish Network. And Dish Network bought the remnants of Blockbuster recently. They like to pick up the pieces of failing companies, I guess. Uh, I mean, uh, Blockbuster still has, I mean, their retail stores are have to be considered worthless at this point. But, um, the, but Blockbuster does have that online streaming service and the video-by-mail service that could be 
uh, improved a bit to compete with Netflix. I mean, it tries to compete with Netflix right now. But I'll tell you uh, what, though, there's so, a problem here. The way they've got set up with this purchase is the only way you can get streaming from Blockbuster, as I understand it, is you have to be a Dish Network subscriber. It's not available separately. That's the bad thing. The good thing is Netflix, in order to get agreements with the movie companies for streaming, had to agree to, what, a 28-day delay in releasing some DVDs for rent. But Blockbuster doesn't have those constraints. <laughs> yeah, also Blockbuster has pretty good distribution on a lot of phones. So a lot of the phones that we get into review at Laptop come with the Blockbuster app preloaded, and you can watch it on your phone. You don't need Dish Network for that. So there's definitely there's definitely an asset there. The question is whether, since Netflix is such a behemoth in the disc-by-mail and instant streaming industry, whether Blockbuster can, you know, can compete. But it has... You know, it has some good distribution. It has a brand name that people know. So if Dish takes it seriously, it could make something out of it. And, and the other thing, too, is that Dish. Netflix right now has a lot of bad blood with their customers because of this decision to increase the price, which may have been justified, the decision to try to separate the streaming and the rentals in the two separate companies, they abandoned that, but they really didn't treat customers well. They lost 800,000 subscribers. Let's go back to the issues regarding T-Mobile. T-Mobile is also constrained by the fact that the spectrum they own forces them to use a non-standard frequency for GSM, which, of course, makes it more difficult to get something like an iPhone there. That's definitely an issue is that they are not using the same uh, GSM frequencies as AT&T does, which means that if you have an unlocked uh, if you have an unlocked iPhone and you try to bring it from AT&T to T-Mobile, you've always been getting, you know, really crappy uh, 2G, 2G speeds, which is an issue. Another issue in the merger that came up during some congressional hearings uh, that were held in, in May is that T-Mobile subscribers would have had to buy new phones once they were transitioned to AT&T because of the change in frequency. Uh, now, AT&T said it's going to take so many years that these customers would have been changing phones anyway. But, yeah, all of your T-Mobile phones would not work properly on AT&T's network. If they worked at all, they would drop down to 2G speeds, which nobody wants. Oh, of course, that doesn't make it too pleasant. So, Okay, so this is an issue here where... Basically, the T-Mobile customer was going to get screwed out of this deal in more ways than one. They weren't just suddenly going to get, oh, the iPhone. No, it was it was a bad. I mean, it was a bad deal for those subscribers. It was a bad deal for the whole, frankly, for the whole marketplace because you're you're basically taking. I mean, how many smartphones does T-Mobile have at any given time on its shelves uh, in its stock? Maybe fifteen. Maybe five tap, maybe five tablets that run on 3G, maybe four or five MiFi's and modems, and a whole slew of feature phones. All those phones immediately come off the market the minute this this merger closes, and and that means fewer handsets being being released on the market because AT&T isn't going to suddenly go from carrying you know, maybe 15 smartphones to 30 just because it absorbed T-Mobile. It's going to close off the T-Mobile phones. Uh, so that means fewer choices for consumers in terms of hardware, 
and obviously fewer choices in terms of plans because T-Mobile has the cheapest plans right now. AT&T has some of the most expensive. Uh, then you see Sprint and, uh, and Verizon saying, huh, now that T-Mobile is not around to keep us honest, we're going to raise our prices too. Uh, so it would have been bad for everyone. Uh, obviously, AT&T said that they would honor the T-Mobile contracts until they, they came up uh, for renewal, but that doesn't really uh, inspire a lot of confidence. I mean, if I were shopping for a phone during this uncertain period, it definitely would have to weigh in your mind. If I join T-Mobile, am I still going to be on T-Mobile a year from now, or am I going to be dealing with AT&T? And you have to look at it this way. Yes, maybe AT&T for $39 billion gets suddenly several tens of millions of new subscribers. But the pain wrought by this changeover, you think, hey, if we could build out our network for $20 billion and make it state-of-the-art, fix the problems, the people who have problems with drop calls, customer service, whatever, make this the best company on the planet, say, this is AT&T, we can prove we have the better network, fewer drop calls, better sound quality, go after customers with a vengeance, spend a few billion on advertising, and maybe become number one by dint of being better. Right. I mean, that's the $3.8 billion that they need to spend to cover more of the market would would help. And, you know, if they spent even $10 billion or $15 billion, in other words, less than half of what they proposed. That's spend, what I'm saying. Sure. $20 billion, fix the network, spend loads of money on advertising, maybe even reduce the prices a little bit to gain more customers and sign-ups, they do better in the end than this merger. Yeah, they wouldn't have an immediate, what is it, 32 million customers, but maybe they'll get 5 or 10 million more by simply having the better product. That, that would be, you know, we could hope for that. Um, interesting statistic, the churn rate, that is the number of subscribers who, drop, who change carriers at the end of their contract, for Verizon and AT&T, it's one point, just 1.2%. So for all this talk of changing carriers, a lot of people don't. Now, ironically, the churn rate for T-Mobile is more than double that at 3.2%. Uh, so what that means is that people are leaving T-Mobile more than they're leaving AT&T, uh, despite AT&T's uh, sometimes checkered reputation for call quality and for for signal quality. So they they will have to do a lot to get people to change because I think people are kind of ingrained now in their carriers and the market is becoming quite mature now where, you know, if you're on Verizon and, you know, your family's on Verizon and you're on a family plan together, you get certain kinds of things where minutes to each other don't count. People have, I think, become kind of set in their carriers and the market's kind of calcifying a bit. At the same time, though, the majority of consumers still aren't on smartphones, still on feature phones. So there's still room for someone to come along and say, I have the fastest network. You don't want to be on Sprint. You don't want to be on T-Mobile. Come to me. And AT&T could really make that case because their new LTE network, while it's only launched in a, in a handful of cities, is really competitive with Verizon's LTE network in terms of being the fastest wireless speed you can get. Well, there you go. As a matter of fact, I am a customer of AT&T. Now, here in the Phoenix area, we don't have any serious problems with reception. Obviously, I'm not traveling to areas where AT&T is weak. In rural areas, 
you know, like you go up to where the co-host of my paranormal show lives, Chris O'Brien. He lives in Camp Verde. Forget about getting any decent service there from AT&T. That's a pipe dream. But there's also yeah. this new setup now with T-Mobile, not that I think it's going to make a difference. Supposedly, T-Mobile now has a roaming agreement with AT&T, so they benefit in other ways, too. Yeah, they're, they're getting a whole bunch of spectrum as a result of the deal failing. Uh, so in certain key markets, they are going to see, I think it's 27 key markets, they're going to see in, increased spectrum, meaning that they can provide better reception in those markets. Now, I didn't see New York specifically named as one of those markets, but I hope it is because T-Mobile is very sporadic around here. Here in our office, we're lucky to get three G-speeds on T-Mobile. Standing in front of the T-Mobile store on uh, 23rd and 6th over here testing a T-Mobile phone recently, I was getting download speeds of about 300 kilobits per second. Which Right in front of the uh, store, you'd think they'd have some kind of booster or something near the store. <laughs> Right, exactly. That was my point. Like, right in front of the store, I was getting rates that were sub 3G. Oh, that doesn't Um, do well. But then for any company who buys T-Mobile, they're going to have to invest in fixing their network if they can. We have Abram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carding to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live as we go the home stretch, the last four segments of the show. So, Avram, that's the question with regard to T-Mobile and AT&T. AT&T maybe had to spend $4 billion in breakup, but they'll benefit out of this they could spend less money to fix their network but what does t-mobile do do they sit back and wait for a suitor to come and take the best deal let's say dish network buys them dish network still has to plan to spend a lot of money boosting the network as you're saying in midtown manhattan t-mobile doesn't do well yep it's so sporadic though because if you go up to 34th street uh, in front of Penn Station, I was getting, you know, five and six uh, megabits per second down, which is pretty good, 4G speed. Uh, but, you know, 
you know, just 11 blocks away, it was, it was hardly usable. Like you could barely load a web page. So it's really, really dicey. Uh, depending on on where you go, and it, this isn't the only New York isn't the only place I've had this problem with t- with T-Mobile devices. Uh, so they will have to invest, and it's not at all clear how much they'll need to invest, but obviously billions, especially because T-Mobile has not announced any roadmap to getting toward real 4G. Now that's a good uh, question here. T-Mobile is spending a lot of money advertising that they have 4G, which technically they don't, do they? No. Now, according to the 4G standards uh, body, nobody has, nobody really has 4G because even the LTE network that AT&T and Verizon have uh, is not quote-unquote true 4G. They need LTE advanced, which is the next level up. But clearly there's a big difference between LTE networks, such as AT&T's new network and Verizon's LTE network, and what T-Mobile is doing with their HSPA Plus network, which is really like 3.5G, and what, of course, Sprint is doing with WiMAX, which is also like 3.5G, and what AT&T has done with their HSPA Plus network up until now, which is about equivalent to T-Mobile's. It's like a little better than 3G, sometimes a lot better, because you could go from getting one megabit per second down to getting five megabits per second down in a good location. Well, that's pretty good. That's the difference between, you know, loading a web page in in 20 seconds and loading it in nine or ten, maybe. So those things matter, and it is an improvement, and I think people will judge the network based on the speeds they get, but it's not true 4G, and it's not really competitive with what Verizon AT&T are putting out. And Sprint has said that they're moving to LTE by the end of 2012. That means everyone's embracing LTE except T-Mobile. So if T-Mobile wants to be a player or who, the, the company that buys T-Mobile wants to be a player, they cannot sit back and say, we have 4G because we have this HSPA Plus network. They're going to have to do something. They're probably going to have to find their own LTE roadmap because LTE is fast becoming the standard now. So are we going to see LTE in sufficient quantities for people to actually be able to use in a large portion of the country, Sam? I, I really believe so. I mean, AT&T you know, knows that they're going to get to, 90, to 80 or 97% soon. Verizon is covering, already covers quite a few major markets uh, with LTE, although they have had their share of outages. Uh, just this week, uh, Verizon experienced uh, another LTE outage, which was the second one this month. Uh, so, you know, they're not perfect either, but when you have a good connection on Verizon's LTE, it is by head and shoulders the best, net, the best wireless speed you can possibly get. And often a better, uh, a better speed than you'll get on your home internet. I mean, I'm pulling sometimes... 20, 25, 30 megabits per second down and maybe, you know, five or six uh, megabits up. Uh, What that means for those who aren't obsessed with the number is imagine being able to upload an HD video directly to YouTube in just a couple of minutes as opposed to 30, 40, 50 minutes. Imagine being able to, to pull down a full HD movie and just you know, five or ten minutes instead of pulling it down in in hours. And imagine paying Verizon for using all that extra bandwidth. 
that that is definitely an issue. I mean, a study came out this week showing that the average uh, web page has grown in size in just the past year or two from about 750 kilobytes to a megabyte. That's like a 25% increase. What that means is every single web page you visit uh, gets to be, you know, a megabyte of your data cap. Well, you add that up, you know, 1,000 megabytes, 1,024 megabytes makes a gigabyte you get a two-gigabyte cap on the lowest uh, Verizon plan. That's visiting 2,000 web pages in a month uh, without viewing any email or viewing any videos. I found at just surfing the web, I was using maybe you know a gig and a half uh, or more a month on my, on my LTE phone. So the data caps are going to become a real problem because websites are not getting any smaller. Well, we try to keep ours lean and mean, but, you know, there's just so far you can go. And we understand that. But the well, key I mean, being here, though, is that with LTE, we're going to see a lot better performance. Obviously, the bandwidth issues will have to hopefully take care of themselves in a proper way. Also, with Verizon, the problem we have now with an iPhone, and this won't be solved until there is an LTE iPhone, which is using simultaneous voice and data. And this with any smartphone, that goes away with LTE, right? Yeah, so you'll be able to talk on the phone and surf the web at the same time uh, as they do in some of the AT&T commercials. I mean, it already works on AT&T's GSM network, uh, which, you know, is definitely helpful. I mean, you want to have a call with someone and look something up while you're doing it. That's, that's obviously something that you'll want to do. Uh, but ultimately, having this much connectivity, um, you know, really changes the game for how people use their phones. Uh, when you have that kind of connectivity, enables more sorts of things like augmented reality uh, and doing all kinds of things that connect you to the web and connect you to the cloud rapidly. Because if you have to wait, you're not going to perform these actions. If you have to wait five minutes to look something up, you're just not going to do it. Uh, it, it you know, it changes how you use the phone. So the faster your phone is, the more the, the more possibility for having applications that are constantly updating from the internet, and and therefore feeding you all kinds of new information. Yeah, but at some point they're going to have to revise the structure for bandwidth because you can't drive people broke charging them $30 for just a few gigabytes of bandwidth. That doesn't make sense. They're going to have to increase their capacity in such a way that they can handle this and then give people an affordable rate. We, we would hope so. I mean, they used to, Verizon used to provide uh, unlimited bandwidth, and they decided to come with the cap. Sprint still provides it, although their speeds are not LTE. And by the way, if you're on Verizon and you had the unlimited service, as I did, and you upgrade to LTE, you're grandfathered, so you have unlimited LTE uh, until they figure figure out how to stop that or they decide to stop it. Uh, so uh, it, it's a real problem, though, when you're paying $30 for 2 gigabytes because 2 gigabytes is nothing. Uh, and as time goes by and there are more and more applications that you want to use that that connect to the internet and connect to the cloud, you know, you're just sucking more and more bandwidth out of that cap. I mean, for example, Siri, 
uh, although it's operating over 3G, will still affect your cap, maybe in a small way, but every time you talk to Siri, she's going out and she's hitting the internet to to answer your question and to and you're basically uploading the sound file of what you said um, to Apple. Uh, same thing with Google Voice. So every time you take a picture and you have to check the QR code, every time you you know you want to use something like the Layar Reality Browser and, and or, or Wikitude and peer through your phone at a at a restaurant and see what the rating is, that's all connecting to the internet. And, and tapping your cap. So something has to give. We're giving you Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Hi friends, this is Jeremiah from Zeobit, the makers of MacKeeper. MacKeeper is a bundled software of 16 of the most important system utilities all located in one place. It's a really powerful and cool application that includes anti-theft, antivirus, data encryption, you can undelete files, back up your data, and so much more. We offer lifetime customer support with every license, and we really do care about you and your Mac. For more information, check us out at MacKeeper.com. Once again, that's MacKeeper.com. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. 
happen. Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S. unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins and heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightall.com. That's news at technightall.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightall.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightall.com. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. We were exploring first the failed merger attempt between AT&T and T-Mobile, the possible future of T-Mobile. A general discussion about bandwidth, about the fact that we consume more and more of the stuff, so will the wireless carriers relent, face reality, and provide a realistic rate. 2011, what do you think were the top stories? Obviously, AT&T was a major story, but what other stories deserved attention? Well, obviously, Steve Jobs' health and then death is something that's going to stay with us for a long time. There are obviously questions that go beyond just people feeling bad because he was an incredible pioneer and the most visible face of of the technology industry. You know, questions remain about how will Apple do without him? You know, what's going to basically happen to the world of technology now that there's no Steve Jobs? You really have to wonder, for example, what Steve Jobs would have said about SOPA, uh, the Stop Online Piracy Act, that has become so controversial recently if he were still with us. I think we lost a huge leader, opinion leader in Steve Jobs. That's going to be with us for a long time. Obviously, We also saw a couple of other key mergers, Motorola being purchased by Google, Skype being purchased by by Microsoft, and RIM not being purchased by anyone just yet, although the rumor came out recently that Nokia and Microsoft were interested in them. Uh, My prediction is that by this time next year, we'll be talking about perhaps RIM the acquisition or just total utter failure of RIM as a story of 2012. The story in 2011 is that everything they did went 200% wrong. Obviously, another big story was the emergence of Android in the tablet space. Prior to 2011, uh, you had the phone version of the operating system on the handful of Android tablets that came out. Uh, 2011 saw the, the rise of Honeycomb and then later Ice Cream Sandwich, uh, which were versions of Android that were designed for the tablet, and therefore we saw an explosion of Android tablets that, even though they haven't been incredibly commercially successful, uh, have provided a lot of consumer choice and innovation. That's been a huge story. The rise of Ultrabooks 
has also been a really big story and that will be get even bigger in 2012 where we see more thinner and lighter notebooks uh, sporting Intel processors. Well, the thing, of course, is the success of the MacBook Air simply breeds imitation, right? No question about it, but also the success of, of tablets like the iPad 2 breeds fear that notebooks are becoming less relevant. Now, uh, those of us who work with notebooks every day realize that you really can't substitute a tablet for your notebook, not yet, and maybe no time soon because you need that full operating system and you need the keyboard, the, the quality keyboard and the larger screen to really, you know, be productive. But some of the things that tablets offer, like being always on, waking up really quickly, those are things that the MacBook Air and the Ultrabooks do. They boot really quickly. They wake from sleep in a couple of seconds. Those are things that people have come to expect from their tablets and their phones. And they're entering the notebook space because people have that expectation from their PC now as well. Looking at other announcements here, what about the state of the netbook. Now, we had a friend of yours, Kim Bradford, on the show just a couple of weeks back, and she suggested that there's still life left in the netbook. What do you think? Um, I agree that there is life left in the 10-inch notebook. Whether they're going to continue to be called netbooks and marketed the way that netbooks were is an open question. Uh, as you may have heard, Dell decided uh, recently that they were going to stop selling netbooks. They also decided they were going to stop selling Android tablets, but they are not the the final word on this as Asus and MSI and HP all continue to sell and refer to their 10-inch uh, laptops as netbooks. However, I think the word netbook is becoming a dirty word because it stands for something that is cheap and low power, and I think that it is just not a sexy enough uh, term these days and I think that you're going to see marketers move away from it. However, the need for 10 and 11-inch notebooks is still huge, and in effect, the netbook has not died, it's evolved. The netbook revolution is over, but we've all won, because when netbooks came out two years ago, two, three years ago, in 2008, late 2007, you might recall that notebooks were all pretty large, they were heavy, and if you wanted something light, like you wanted a think, Lenovo ThinkPad X300 or you wanted the original MacBook Air, you were going to spend $2,000 uh, to get that, and that was way out of anyone's budget. And if you wanted an expensive notebook, you were going to spend six or $700, and you were going to get a, a heavy clunker. So when the netbooks came out, people realized, hey, it's more important for me to have battery life and portability than it is to have a really fast processor. And so when Asus came out with the EPC or, or when MSI came out with the Wind, uh, what they were doing was they were saying, look, here you can get something that's really lightweight, it's inexpensive, you can afford it, and it's going to last a long time on a charge, but the trade-off is, you know, you're not going to be able to do a lot of video editing on this thing. I think that that trade-off is still real and people still want lightweight, long-lasting, and they want it very often more than they want performance. But now we have notebooks that are 11, 12, 13 inches that don't have the Intel Atom processor that was ubiquitous in netbooks, but still fulfill that need. You have things like uh, HP's DM1, which is 399 
and 11.6 inches and uses an AMD Fusion processor. So I think that the need for a low-cost, small notebook continues. People like them. Uh, they're particularly popular in countries outside of the U.S. ASUS sold 4.8 million uh, netbooks this year as opposed to under 2 million tablets. So there's still a market for these things, but I don't think they're going to be called netbooks much long- for much longer. The kiss of death. What about the misses for 2011? Well, obviously, uh, you know, the playbook uh, from BlackBerry was a huge miss. Uh, the HP touchpad was a huge uh, miss. Uh, you know, pretty much uh, most tablets that came out that weren't the iPad, uh, while even if they had good quality, were not a success. Uh, so those were all huge misses. Uh, the Kindle Fire, while selling well, has gotten a lot of uh, criticism uh, for its poor performance and poor poor protections. Uh, so if I were to sum up the misses for this year, a lot of them would be tablets. Um, also, the first generation of Ultrabooks hasn't really had a star. Asus's ZenBook UX31, uh, which was supposed to be the best the best Ultrabook because it looked so interesting and it had, you know, such a fast processor and such a fast SSD uh, turned out to be kind of a failure because the touchpad was terrible. Uh, So a lot of companies getting the little things wrong uh, have led to a lot of misses. I'll tell you what, we're going to have to avoid missing this. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack. of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack Attack. of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves 
absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM1, the raw probiotic. Long-range patrol ration entrees. If you know survival, you know LRPs are the undisputed king of military rations. Hands down the best for your bug-out bag or survival pack. To go farther, faster, and carry more food, there's nothing better than a Brick Pack LRP cold-weather ration entree. Nothing. Now, the freeze-dry guy is offering a limited-time deal on thousands of fresh LRP entrees. We're talking a menu of tasty and nutritious beef stew, chicken and rice, chili mac with beef, spaghetti and meat sauce with 20 entrees per case. These fresh 2011 LRPs are U.S. government contract overruns, perfect for long-term storage. But they're going fast at freezedryguy.com. Far superior to MREs, long-range patrol entrees are about a third the weight of an MRE, with about a third more meat than the finest commercial freeze-dried entrees. Ask about multi-case discounts and free shipping when you call 866-404-3663 today. That's 866-404-3663 or freezedryguy.com. Your source for survival food in an uncertain world. What happened, man? You used to be energetic, happy, and wow, did the ladies love you. Now, you fall asleep on the couch, irritable, and out of shape. Don't be that guy. Call now for a risk-free trial of Ageless Male, a natural supplement shown to raise testosterone by 50% and maintain healthy, normal levels. No injections, no appointments. With healthy testosterone levels, you can feel that energy again, that great outlook again, and yes, even a healthy sex drive. Right now, you can try Ageless Male risk-free. There's nothing to lose, guys. If you're a man who's noticed changes in your body, your mood, your sex life, call now for a risk-free trial of Ageless Male. Be the guy you used to be. Just call 1-888-246-0623. Don't wait another day. Just call 1-888-246-0623. Again, 1-888-246-0623. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. With Abram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. We explored so far AT&T and T-Mobile, the merger being off, hits and misses of 2011. What about the possible hits or misses of 2012? What are your predictions? Put on your thinking cap, take out your crystal ball. What do you think? Well, I think a big turn in 2012 is going to be higher screen resolution uh, on everything, uh, which is a benefit to everyone. Um, so where today you're seeing tablets that are 1280 by 800 and you're seeing um, phones that are starting to creep up into 720p resolution, you're going to see a lot more devices with much higher pixel densities. That means higher resolutions on smaller screens, which means sharper pictures. Uh, as sharp as the eye can see, that's going to be a trend. We already know uh, pretty much that the iPad 3 is going to have a much higher resolution screen than previous iPads. And I think Android tablet makers are planning to follow suit. I th- another trend that we are guaranteed to see uh, in the coming year is 
the actual emergence of real wearable computing for maybe the first time after so many years of hype. At the end of this year, we saw a developer prototype of the Win One watch, which is the first Android watch, but we're going to see at CES a watch from an Italian company called iMWatch, which has even more features than the Win Watch. Apple apparently is rumored to be working on an iBangle that basically takes an iPod with curved glass and puts it around your wrist. And Google uh, is apparently working on a set of augmented reality goggles that you can actually put over your head, uh, over your eyes, and see uh, augmented reality content on everything that you look at. What about the Dick Tracy watch with a TV so you can have a video conference call with your watch? So the whim is obviously missing a camera, so that that isn't happening. But perhaps the iMWatch, which is an Italian watch, I believe there may be makes of that that have a camera. You know, obviously, if Apple does this uh, wearable uh, wrist thing correctly, maybe it'll use FaceTime. I mean, that's something that we'd all like to see because right now your phone just stays in your pocket. Most people aren't wearing wrist watches anymore because they tell time by the phone. And then you have this whole waste of skin real estate that you could be using to support another computer. I think. I think. Let me just really correct you. I don't know if I'm most people, but I'm looking at my watch on my wrist. It's still there. I mean, for those who are still using them, it's nice to be able to tell time just by twisting your wrist. Uh, but I, I know a lot of people now who no longer wear wristwatches because they say, oh, if I need the time, I just look at my phone. But at the same time, you have to pull your phone out of your pocket or out of your purse, uh, and that takes time. And it's obviously very inconvenient if you want to walk down the street and look at everything on the street and see information about it projected at you. So if you have, rea- if you have these augmented reality goggles that Google is apparently working on, Imagine yourself walking down the street in a city like New York, and everywhere you go, you, you look at the Empire State Building, and you see facts about it projected on top of the image. You look at this restaurant, you see it's Yelp rating. I mean, it's pretty incredible to think of all that information just flowing into your eye wherever you go, but that's not going to work with the phone because you're going to have to sit there pointing it in front of your face while you walk down the street. Uh, Which people do, by the way. A lot of people obviously stick the phones in their face, and you wonder how they know where they're going. You know, it'll work for a few minutes, but if you're going to walk around for an hour like that, I think your arm's going to get sore. (laughs) Well, it's good Uh, exercise, at least for one arm. (laughs) But, you know, I think that's something something that's been promised for, you know, over a decade now is that we would actually move into – an age of wearable computing where people would be able to walk around with reality headsets and watches that were like Dick Tracy. And I think for the first time now, we're actually seeing some moves toward that. Will it be a big trend in 2012 or will there be, there be maybe one or two Halo products that come out? It's hard to say, but it's, it's certainly very encouraging and one of the most interesting uh, things that, that we see and, and we hope to see a lot of demos of it at CES. Uh, obviously, uh, Intel's Ivy Bridge uh, is going to up the ante on notebook performance in this coming year. That's their next CPU, and, and we expect it to be, uh, you know, much more powerful and much more power efficient than the current generation, uh, and enable even thinner and better ultrabooks to come out in 2012. Uh, we would expect uh, more quad-core uh, phones and quad-core tablets to come. I mean, right now there are no quad-core phones and there's only one quad-core tablet. 
Uh, we expect a lot more quad-core ch- chips to come uh, from Qual- the likes of Qualcomm and TI and, and maybe even Marvell to compete with NVIDIA's Tegra 3 quad-core chip. So you're going to see more cores everywhere on your devices as you get more and more powerful devices. And, of course, you're going to see LTE become more more ubiquitous. AT&T is maybe in three or four cities now with their LTE. By the end of 2012, they're probably going to be blanketing most of the major cities with LTE. Uh, Sprint plans to have LTE phones out by the fall, uh, so you have to expect them to be uh, launching their LTE network, you know, sometime soon. So that's that's something that we see as a big trend in 2012, which was also a big trend in 2011, because before 2011, we didn't even have LTE on Verizon. By the end of 2012, it's going to be on three of the four major carriers. Question about LTE phones. One of the reasons given by Apple for not having one is because the chips were not fully developed and the battery life suffered. Have you seen this in the LTE phones that you've tested? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Samsung Galaxy Nexus, which is a uh, which is a phone that everybody wants now because it's the first phone with ice cream sandwich and it's got this 720p screen and 4.7 inch display. It's huge. Uh, you know, people love it, but it only got three hours and forty minutes of battery life on our test. Uh, the average, the average phone gets about five and a half. And if you're talking about on three G, you have phones that are getting eight and nine hours. An iPhone tends to get you know nine hours, maybe ten hours. Uh, so three hours and forty minutes—that's really terrible. Now, on the other hand, I like having the choice. You can always disable four G if you wish to improve battery life, or do what I do with my Samsung Stratosphere, buy a huge whopping battery to install and live with the extra two ounces of weight, the extra, you know, 0.3 inches of thickness on your phone and and have long battery life and, and fast speeds. But it's now, a given here that, that it's a given here that in 2012, the next iPhone, whether it's called an iPhone 5 or whatever, We'll have the LTE chip probably by that point in time. The chips will be better. The battery life will be better, or Apple will find ways to make things more efficient. They have to. I mean, they, they have to do it. I mean, they they can't continue to stay, stick with 3G two years after everybody else was on 4G. They, they're already behind when it comes to 4G, and Samsung has bashed them over it. Uh, in a commercial that they recently put out for the Galaxy S2 where a bunch of people are waiting in line to, to buy the iPhone and uh, and someone who's holding the Samsung phone says, why can't you just get a 4G phone? So I think that's the biggest criticism right now of Apple is that they're still on 3G. They're going to have to do something about it. Well, I don't think they're losing customers as a result. No, that, that's fair. They're not losing customers, but... It is something that people are looking for and asking for. And to Apple's credit, they've always been willing to to hold off on being first in order to ensure the user experience. So, yeah, they could rush out with 4G, but they don't want to come out with an iPhone that only lasts four hours on a charge. They'd be embarrassed. You know, now look at the opposite the opposite effect in in the world of Android, where you have someone willing to come out with a phone that lasts three hours on a charge because they want to be at the bleeding edge. Uh, it's an interesting you know, difference in the audience for Android versus the audience for iPhone. Uh, but people expect Apple to come out with things that are fully baked. 
and Apple has never disappointed them. I'll tell you what, we're not disappointed by the fact that we have Avram Pilch. She's from Laptop Magazine, where is the online editorial director. Go to laptopmag.com. We have him back for one more segment on the Tech Night Owl Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Ready for cold and flu season? Now's the time to get ready and save during the pre-winter sale at HerbalHealer.com. Stock up on powerful, natural flu fighters like olive leaf extract, elderberry power, and grapefruit seed liquid. Don't forget your vitamin D3 this winter. Right now, HerbalHealer.com has 120 soft gels, 1,000 IUs on sale for only $9. And remember, HerbalHealer.com offers eFoods Global products, delicious, premium, storable foods that contain no MSG, no trans fats, no GMO, and have a 25-year shelf life. Click the eFoods link on HerbalHealer.com and try eFood storable meals for free. Bookmark HerbalHealer.com, then experience live chat, correspondence courses, and sign up for our free newsletter. As always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. Log on and hit the pre-winter specials at HerbalHealer.com. Healing the world with nature, one person at a time, since 1988. Hi, this is Alex Jones. This holiday season, more than half of our nation is in need of help due to the shattered economy. So now is the time to express the holiday spirit more than ever. Consider helping those you love with the most important gift, a supply of delicious, easy to fix, and very storable foods from eFoodsDirect.com. Their holiday gift and family pack start at $99 for a 16-day supply. All their five-week supply of quick and easy-to-fix meals includes a personal backpack in case of a grab-and-go emergency. Order their combo gift pack, and you'll save hundreds, plus get free shipping on your entire order. Call eFoods today at 800-409-5633 or visit them online at eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex to find the special. That's 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. You can bet your life on eFoodsDirect. 
We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 886 3653. That's 1 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. With Abram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, we've been closing it out for 2011, looking at 2012. Let's focus a little bit on Apple. So we expect there's going to be an iPhone 5 or something with LTE. You mentioned the trend towards higher resolution displays. Obviously, Apple did that with the iPhone 4 with the Retina display. So now they're talking about having the next iPad with a higher resolution display. Are those displays available at reasonable cost, which is always a big deal? I mean, right now they tend to be expensive. So the question is, can Apple do what it normally does, which is manage to ring the lowest prices out of suppliers in order to get something like a 1440p display. The rumor is that they're going to have to settle uh, for something that's a little bit lower resolution than they want, maybe 1600 by 1200 as opposed to, say, 1440p, which is like 2536 by 1440, in order to keep the cost down. But that will still be a huge advancement over what they have now and what anyone else has now. So I expect that the competition is going to try and follow suit, and you're going to see everybody coming out with displays that are you know, well above what they are now, which is a wonderful thing to see because you can really, really tell the difference when you're looking at a phone or tablet with high resolution versus low. More so, I expect, with a tablet. I think more so, and especially uh, as we go along. I mean, I see what the iPhone 4 and 4S does, it would be nice to see that on an iPad 3, for example, because I can tell the difference, very distinctive. Speaking of Apple, what about the TV factor, an Apple-connected TV? Is this in the cards? People seem to think so. What does Avram Pilch think? I think that this is something that, will ha- that may happen now that Steve Jobs is gone. I th- now, granted, he might have been involved with it, but he might have held off. I think that you may see Apple going into form factors and into product categories that Steve Jobs was reluctant to embrace uh, now that Steve Jobs is no longer calling the shots. So do I think Apple is going to go into TV? I think they may very well go into TVs. If they do, they are going to do something that is very... um, They're not going to try and push the envelope in terms of the size or 
having something like 3D. I think it'll be a TV set that's like a reasonable size. They will focus on color and picture quality, and then they will focus on connectivity options. And the TV, if it comes out, will have Siri. So do I think we'll see it? People have been predicting it for years, so I'll predict it too because everyone seems to think it's coming this year. I think we will see the TV coming in the spring. And I guess the question would be, what cost would the TV be? And I'll give you an example of something really fascinating. I had a situation here where my sister-in-law's TV smoked, literally. A 25-year-old TV started smoking. They had the fire company down, but fortunately, the fire people came over and they took the TV out. Everything was okay. So for something like $350, they get a 40-inch Hitachi LCD and you think, wow, it's not a bad set. I mean, they had it over at Sam's Club. It's not a bad set. I think it was over $400 when I came back again a few days later, so they lucked out. The point being that if you can get that price for a set, 40 inches, decent quality set for $350, a 50-inch set for what, $700, $800 for a plasma TV, what can Apple charge for a TV set and not just basically turn off everybody? And I think, as an example, the Bose TV. There's a Bose TV with a tricked-out speaker system. Fabulous. It's 46-inch TV for, what, over $5,000. That's crazy. I think Apple will pick a round number. So I think their TV will be either $1,000 or maybe, you know, eight ninety nine. They will try and pick it. They will try and keep it. I think they will try and keep it under a thousand, um, because I think people will see that as as kind of a Rubicon that they don't want to cross. Of course, I would expect that the rumor mill will say that the Apple TV will cost a lot more than that, because look at the rumor mill uh, before the iPad came out. Everyone said it would be over a thousand dollars, and lo and behold, it came in at four ninety nine. I think Apple knew exactly what was going on in the rumor mill, and they fueled the rumors that would be more expensive. So when it came out at four ninety nine, it seemed like a bargain. I think the same thing's going to happen with Apple TV. Be very interesting to see what Apple comes up with. Of course, part of the thing is they have all these contracts with LCD makers, and still believe in the part of some people that plasma delivers a better quality picture, especially in action scenes, wider viewing angle. Do you think Apple would offer plasma? Possibly. You know, Apple will will do what it needs to do to provide a picture that is subjectively really good that people really like because that's one thing that Apple has never done poorly uh, is display. They always pick the best quality displays for their products they're, you know, even on the iPad, which is now looking kind of long in the tooth, the display is very colorful, um, miles ahead of a lot of the displays we've seen on Android devices. I think Apple lo- will look at what is the best display that's going to make us really stand out next to the competitors uh, when you put our TV side by side. And if it's plasma, they'll go with plasma. Um, I think considering their relationship uh, strangely with with manufacturers like Samsung, um, they will look may look at something that is, you know, kind of a souped up uh, LED. Maybe yeah, but the key is sort of, Samsung makes plasma TV sets also. 
so it's so it's possible that they will use plasma. They will look at what gives them the best combination of price uh, and price and performance. And I'm sure that if they can't do it with with LED, they'll do it with plasma. Well, certainly they can keep the prices down, especially for the 50-inch magic range and whether Apple will have 3D or whatnot. Interesting to say. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to try and beat people on size, and I don't think they're going to get to play with 3D. I think they're going to come into something like 50 inches, which is a very common size now. They're not going to try and be the biggest, and they're not going to try and, and trick people out with uh, special effects like like 3D. They're just going to try and provide a really great picture and then integration of Apple services. It's the integration that's going to make it worthwhile or not. It's being able to play things directly from iTunes onto your TV, uh, which you can do right now with their set-top box, but uh, it's going to be that kind of thing that's going to make the Apple TV stand out. If they can't accomplish really fantastic integration uh, with their services and they can't make a fantastic device, uh, then it's not going to win as being the best-looking te- best TV. But it will look, the picture has to be really good. And the sound has to be a cut above the normal TV set. I think the sound quality ought to be pretty decent. That's going to be important. They're they're going to, I mean, and and obviously they're going to pay a lot of attention to the the design. I I expect it will have a very iPhone and iPad-like design. It will be very thin. Maybe it will have metal around the border. Maybe if you stick your hand over one side of it, it won't get good reception. It uh, It will have the Apple trademark design. It'll have great fit and finish, and maybe an integrated sound bar for the audio, although that's debatable what we have to say about that. We did bring in, by the way, just a few weeks ago, in case you folks missed the show, Bob Carver, the audio engineering legend, and he talked about all these things. Avram Pilch, where do we find more of your stuff? At laptopmag.com slash geekskeek. You can read all my weekly columns. Uh, you can keep up with all of our news at laptopmag.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at geekinchief. Hey, you can find more of our stuff on Twitter, Tech Night Owl, Tech Night Owl at Twitter. Also, we're technightowl.com if you want to check our daily blogs where we have cutting-edge commentaries of our own. And one more thing. We have that other show, The Paracast, about UFOs and things that go bump in the night. The Paracast at Paracast.com. That's Paracast.com now featuring a new line of special merchandise at the official Paracast store. Special holiday wish to you and yours, ladies and gentlemen, around the world. And we'd like to thank Avram Pilch for joining us this week on The Tech Night Owl Live. Always a pleasure, Gene. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.